0: Let's Talk Supply Chain Asia Pacific is not your average supply
1: chain podcast.
0: We feature prominent industry voices, thought-provoking commentary on news, current affairs, and the latest technologies, while connecting you to companies and innovative thinkers who are transforming supply chains in our region and across the world. Don't listen to the same old, same old, be sparked by new ideas, only on Let's Talk Supply Chain Asia Pacific. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Supply Chain Asia-Pacific. My name is Jonathan Kempe. Thanks for joining me for another week in our 10-part series on technology in supply chains. This week, we have the privilege of talking to Eric Johnson, whose official title is the Director at S&P Global and the Senior Technology Editor at JOC.com. Eric writes persuasively and also with great knowledge about the industry so it's going to be great for us to have a chat. He also has a long history in logistics and supply chain so I look forward to talking with him about how technology and supply chain intersect. He's had a significant amount of influence on my own thinking and no doubt many others through his JOC writings as well as his own personal substack so I look forward to talking with him about that too. So without any further ado let's meet Eric Johnson. I'm personally excited about this episode because for some time, in fact years, Eric and I have crossed paths in various sort of obscure different ways. Eric, you might recall that we first met each other at the uh, ill-fated TPMs where there's only a few of us, quite a number of cool little interactions that we've had, but welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. I'm personally excited. I'm sure the audience is too, but before we get started, can you just give us a bit of insight? into some of the things you've done over your illustrious career and maybe share and something that you've learned along the way.
1: I mean real briefly uh how could I possibly forget the ghost, uh TPM 20 and uh and the refugees that it created. <laughs> uh true. we 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 cemented <laughs> bonds that will last uh, forever so for, for a lifetime the TPM refugees as we were yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, so yeah. yeah, I'll I'll just give you the very short rundown of the career. It's uh it's about 20 years in covering logistics for various publications. Um, the first couple with a, a local newspaper in uh, Southern California, covering ports of LA and Long Beach. The last 18 now, working for uh, First American Shipper, and then the last five or so with uh, Journal of Commerce. 25 years in journalism all, all together. I, I went to school. I wanted to be a journalist. I actually did what I wanted to do. I had no intention whatsoever of getting into logistics, much less a specific niche like logistics technology. That was purely accidental and circumstantial and opportunistic and whatever other adjectives you want to attach to it. I would say both of the areas that I now focus on that have kind of converged for my career, they've both been things that I, from the outside looking in, wouldn't have thought were as interesting as they actually are. And I don't know whether it's the two things that I happen to get involved in happen to be really interesting to me, or whether I just would have found any sort of deep, you know, excursion into an industry that is is sort of like always there but not well understood from the outside. I would have maybe my my natural curiosity would have taken over, and I would have been like just as interested in, you know, the insurance industry or you know whatever else I <laughs> happen to be get yeah. involved in. But I do think that. I mean, global logistics is interesting because it's it involves travel to different countries and different dealing with different mm. cultures, and it's you know as we all know it's the it's the machine behind what what we all buy and and consume, and and are you know I don't need to tell this audience what's cool about global mm. logistics, but that's what grabbed me, and the and the tech world too is like it's this interesting the zeros and ones that sort of like make our whole world go, and 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 applying that to the physical reality of moving goods has been super interesting and uh and it never stops actually being interesting. So, I mean I I think you, you I think you asked what one thing I've learned. I'll go with two things. First of all, from a career perspective, the most important thing I would ever tell anyone is just look to specialize as early as you can. The more you right. understand some little corner of our world, the more valuable you'll be. And mm. and I didn't I didn't again I didn't set out on that path. It just sort of happened to fall up before me and I was lucky enough to not say no to it. But that's that's been incredibly beneficial for me to just keep specializing and specializing more and more. And and then the other thing I would say and I've also been super lucky my whole career to be with publications that have Never prioritized like the uh the juicy clickbait stuff, and they've really focused on accuracy and credibility so I would say over over and above everything else, just taking a pause, taking a beat, talking to one more person, make sure that like your name and your reputation is the currency you trade in uh, and and making sure that you don't do anything to erode that even if you lose mm you know, even if you lose by a day or a week or you don't even write a story because someone else has it because you weren't mm. sure that the thing that someone else had, you weren't comfortable putting your name to it. Like that's always served me well. Mm. I've never I've never been yeah. gotten in trouble for not having a story first. I have gotten in trouble for right. having it wrong.
0: Wow. that's And that's a really great insight. And I have to say for those listening along, if you haven't come across Eric's writing, is something that you will note uh, someone. And I can say from my personal point of view how inspiring this has been. Who maintains journalistic integrity? I think if there's one thing that I could say about you, Eric, is that you have the ability to write about things that you're passionate about, have some extensive degree of domain expertise about, um, but in particular, you 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 want to say the things that are true and write, and also you align yourself well to um, things that are happening in the industry in, a, in, in an impartial manner. And I've really appreciated that. So whenever I've read JOC and I've consume the content you've put out in your own uh, your own blog postings that uh, that's inspired me to do the same thing, which is kind of why I'm actually here asking you these questions. You've been an inspiration. So thank you. Cool. And I'm sure other people would mirror that same sentiment. Just, just give us an update. And I mean, you, your credibility in the industry uh, definitely noted. Uh, what's a, a current context update that you can give us? We've got this sort of clanging together of a freight rate environment, which has changed. We've got acquisitions happening at scale. There's a a broader sort of sense of a trend that might be occurring here with sustainability and otherwise. Can you just put your prognostication hat on for just a moment um, and just have a look at what might be coming, but comment more particularly about what is happening right now? What what are the sort of trends you're seeing and and what does that mean for the, the broader industry?
1: To a certain degree, without any context, we're sort of right back where we started. Um, or where we've been in a few different points uh, in the last 30 years and and really, you know, in perpetuity from the start of global shipping, right, is what goes up comes down. Go around in
0: circles already. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean,
1: what goes up comes down and then it goes back up again. I think that obviously the difference this time is it had never gone so high before, so the crash was going to seem all the more dramatic, you know, I think I, I've written a lot about this, at least if not on JOC.com on my personal channels. Like, I think we all focus a little bit too much on the the, uh, the short-term delta and not the long-term trend line. So right. it is a shipper's market. There have been shipper markets before. Uh, demand is way down. Demand has been way down before. Shippers are hesitant to reorder because demand is not there. That has happened before too. I think the main differences now are there's a lot more data and scrutiny on our industry than there ever was before. So every like micro development turns into 15 stories and a million charts, and everyone is hyper aware of when the rate goes down $8 on a global basis from last week to this week. Yeah. That didn't happen in 2015 when Hanjin or 2016 when Hanjin collapsed, right? There wasn't so much coverage and there wasn't so much granular data on the rates. Uh, It certainly didn't happen during the financial crisis, which was way, way worse for the carriers. So um, again, a little bit of context is important. The other thing I'll say is carriers are going to be hurting. Forwarders are going to be hurting over the next six to nine months for sure. But it's it's sort of like when I got out of college and I had no money and I got a job that barely paid my bills – that's a different situation than 10 years. And I'm I'm making this up. This is all hypothetical. I do not have this person. <laughs> it's a family who I'm about to talk to, but that's different from 10 years later when I made a little bit more money. I had higher bills, but I also had a rich uncle who died and left me a million dollars. Yeah,
0: right? that's right. My yeah.
1: financial situation is a lot different knowing <laughs> I have money in the bank. Yeah. And it was when I was literally living paycheck to paycheck. And I yeah. I... I I think people are, have lost sight of the financial background in the industry and how yes the rates right now for shippers they're great especially for you know for their sea their sea level that may not understand why all of a sudden things have gone back to normal or gone so low in terms of rates but mm. for the for the providers the service providers and the canny 3PLs who also should have done really well the last couple of years, they are sitting in financial situations that are vastly different. Yeah. And that, in and of itself, is enabling you to weather a really kind of uh, weak demand environment better than they would ordinarily. But then, you know, and the other thing I'll, I'll say contextually is that if you look at volumes, like I look, you know, I'm, I've been putting together some presentations of late. If you look at volumes going into North America from Asia, they're way below what they were a year ago. Yeah. But they're pretty even with 2018, 2019. And those were not bad years. Those were not like the bottom of a trough. Those were solid years. And some people will say, well, you know, four years later, we should be, the trend line should be, it should be up. It shouldn't be back down to 2018, 19. Well, you're just rebalancing off of like the incredible volume that was being moved the last two years. And I think we will come back to a state in 24 that resumes that trend line that was going on pre 2020. It It's, it's more like, did you make business decisions about cash? Did you make business decisions about what assets you invested in, what acquisitions you made that's that allow you to weather a really tough year and come out like just ready to roar when things do come pick back up? Or are you going to be in a situation where you're, re- you're kind of ready to be picked off in an acquisition? Cause believe me, there are a lot of companies that are really happy about the situation right now because they're yeah. like, we have a lot of cash in the bank yeah. and we have good contracts with customers who are going to stick with us for five years. And now we're ready to make some fire sale acquisitions. Right. So yeah. It, you know, it really depends on where you're at. And, and so, I mean, I personally think if you're in this business and you're not set up to weather like a year or an 18 month period where things kind of suck, you're mm. probably not, this is probably not the industry for you because this is what happens.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a huge ebb and flow. So let me just get this right. You you just said that um, now more than ever, people are more informed. They know more than they did even pre say 2015. So does that mean that you're kind of to blame for the volatility here, Eric? I just want to just get that clear. If if you've been informing people too readily, and you oh no, are...
1: I, I I take no, I personally take no blame for this. Um, oh, okay. Uh, I'll now, have to throw because that because over I, to know, the audience I, to see I, I, if they agree. I don't use data at all. I just use. Yeah. Data. No, I just, <laughs> I just go obviously with my gut. like I work. Yeah. I mean, JOC is owned by uh, S and P Global. We are. Uh, a data, financial data, you know, not just financial data across a whole different bunch of verticals. We are a very data focused organization on the whole. And JOC is always, from an editorial perspective, is always focused on incorporating data and basing things on data. So yes, um, we are partly to blame for the public being more informed than they were. But, you know, there's also just been a lot of the venture capital that's come into the market has been focused on increasing transparency of data and mm. i think long term that's a really good thing short term i think the reality is most people don't have the wherewithal to like understand all the data that they're being confronted with so yeah that's that's why i think you get these these thing these micro movements in the market that get blown way out of proportion in terms of what it means to people in the industry right like my mm-hmm. favorite one was you know the 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 ship counter off the coast of LA and Long Beach a year yeah. you know 18 months ago it's like oh there's 108 ships now there's 109 there's 115 yeah. like you know what it's 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 interesting and it makes for a good photo but someone who's in the industry they care about they're they're thinking of like what does that mean transit time for their six boxes right. Right, yeah. they don't care whether there's 109 or 122 ships. Right, that's yeah. very that's a generalist's window into our market. The, the The operator's window into our market is what does that mean for total transit time?
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's a bit of this, bit of that. i but but I have been working on a theory that every time Lars Jensen takes a holiday, that something catastrophic happens. And that's not scientific, but I think. Oh, it is, he
1: has it is. He's not allowed to take vacations anymore, so. Yeah, I think that we should yeah.
0: have a global moratorium on Lars taking, taking any time off. Um, what you mentioned just before is really fascinating because if you think of sustainability as a general concept, and most of the time it gets a, attached to the environment, there's also this sustainability element with the industry yep. in terms of its ability to weather those storms. Um, so there's the, the literal storms on the environmental front, there's the metaphorical storms competitively, and when it comes to people's businesses, do you think that technology has allowed folk to weather the storms better, or has it actually increased volatility? Has it has it actually made those peaks and troughs more pronounced?
1: Well, I, you know, I think this is this is very related to the data, too much data question. And and way back, I used to do, <laughs> I technically still do, but I haven't done it in a while. I used to do a weekly newsletter on Substack and (laughs) one of the topics I addressed was is is the proliferation of data sort of what's that what's that phenomenon in science where when you're when you do an experiment and the act of observing the experiment actually impacts the experiment that you're trying to observe yeah well is
0: it the concept they have behind Schrodinger's cat you know we as soon as we saw it it died is that the same sort of thing you're going for
1: I mean, this is a, I'm not a science person, but like if you, if, if you turn the lights on during uh and you're observing an experiment, does the, the light from the thing of you observing it, does that impact what happened? I think there's some of that in terms of yeah. just the access to data means that there's decisions that are made that weren't made previously. And I think it's a fair question to ask whether that exacerbates you know, things that if we had just sort of sat back with our eyes closed, might've resolved themselves instead of us trying to like, micro. Yeah, so right. yes, yeah. um, it's, there's a lot of power in, in the data that's out there and in, in the wrong hands or the wrong use, it's not helpful. It's, it could potentially be harmful, right? You know, everyone's going to say, what do you mean? Right. Like it's better to have more data and better to be more on top of things. And it's like, well, I don't know. I like, I don't know if that's a decided thing yet. I think the right data in the right hands at the right time is super impactful, but the wrong data in the wrong hands at the wrong time can can make things worse. Right. So yeah, I, I don't, this is an inherently volatile industry. It's super fragmented. It's not controlled by two or three people or two or three organizations. It, it's so mm. dependent on consumer demand of which like no one has yeah. been able to understand, including the companies that cater to consumers can't figure out why people want to buy yeah. things at a certain point in time. There's only so much volatility that can be controlled and just having like a million data points on the volatility doesn't necessarily make it less volatile.
0: So, I mean, getting back to something that someone wrote in your sub stack, blog i can't remember who it was but they were talking about filtering out noise it okay, was, it was yeah, it was i was so writing about filtering author, out noise uh, <laughs> yeah. so it was exactly. self self referencing unbelievable that's shameless um but if you think about some of the commentary that came out of that and related comments that you've made and others have made in the industry for some time there is this sense that the the level of noise has increased and technology facilitates noise right it actually brings about more noise and and what you've said there and i don't think you're even alluding to it i think it's directly quotable is that technology has this capability to give additional visibility of additional data, but that actually leads to worse outcomes. And so like you've just said, the jury is still out as to whether it's been net helpful versus net distracting. That highlights that the industry is fundamentally built around connections with people. Is that the right conclusion?
1: Of course. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, if you want to go like really macro on this, people buy stuff, people work in industrial settings using industrial products that are made. Um until we're at the point where machines and systems need feel the need to buy stuff to make themselves feel better. This is from the from the, the bottom up, this is a human driven set of processes. So it makes sense that if the if a consumer of a product is human, the the developer of a product is human, and the people who get that product to the to the consumer are are going to be human. Yeah, of course, it's relationship. I, I just did a story a couple of weeks ago about where visibility has has fallen short in in freight, um, considering the amount of money that's been yeah invested.
0: yeah topic topic de jour. Yeah, I,
1: I think you can broaden that out to the the whole like idea that. All we need is more technology and all we need is more data, right? There's never been more money invested into logistics technology than there had been from 2012 to 2019. How did that set us up to navigate what happened in 2020 through 2022? It didn't. Everyone said supply chains were broken, They were, which they weren't, by the way. That's right. wrong also. But they, mm. according to some people, they didn't perform, they performed as badly as they ever have, despite more solutions being on the market, despite more data being on, available. So it's not really a tech and data thing that needs, that we just need yeah. more of that and everything will be fine. Of course, it's humans will always play a role.
0: And I, I can't help but thinking that if people had listened to that earlier, that you could have saved people billions of dollars in overinvestment and proposing things which didn't necessarily magnify that central element, as in didn't augment the experience of the humans. It kind of strapped something on which was interesting, but unnecessary. And, and as you've just mentioned, the real-time visibility market's been a bit of topic du jour as of late. Uh, and there's been a huge amount of ebb and flow in that. There's been lots of money coming in and from all accounts and and also your commentary, not a huge amount of results coming out. I mean, it didn't really mitigate a lot of the disasters that we've seen. Um, so what's the, what's the future hold for that specific segment? Give us your assessment. I don't know if you've written about this, but give us your frank assessment on what it means for visibility really in terms of technology and supply chains.
1: Another thing I've learned back to your first question was uh, try not to indulge in too much uh, predictive predictions because uh, you're bound to be wrong and people will... <laughs> so I will, I will, I will answer this very diplomatically. I will say I've been, <laughs> yeah, I've a, been I have yeah. enough gray hair on my chin to say that I've been through a few different sort of cycles of visibility as the novel thing, and one thing it tends to retrench back to is it it ends up being sort of a commoditized thing on price, which doesn't help the provider uh, innovate. I mean, it's the same problem ocean carriers had for years and years, right? Like, if you're on razor-thin margins, how are you supposed to invest and innovate, right? And mm. it tends to be more valuable in times when uh, things are like break are breaking down on mass, not necessarily with a specific company, right? So, if there's a specific company that has major issues with its specific supply chain or supply chains. Of course, there's always going to be a market for them, for that company to go out and look for a vendor to help them. But most companies are actually pretty good and pretty sophisticated. All right. And the reason there was such a spike, in my view, during the pandemic was the whole, the the aggregate system was, was, was troubling for them. And there was things outside of their own supply chains that were impacting their supply chains in ways that they couldn't control. And so they needed more insight into that in a, in a somewhat normal environment that need is less acute right. and then you start to go back to needing just individual elements you know maybe a piece of terminal data maybe the connection between a port and a rail that are easier but also sh- the, in the shipper's mind should be a cheaper kind of option it's not like a 5 year strategic partnership with global connectivity to every single thing that moves right so that, I think, is the thing that's working against yeah. visibility as, as like a this monster category unto itself. Now, you could also argue the other side of things, which is maybe something fundamentally did change on the decision-making side during the pandemic, and shippers now realize they can't wait until that a crazy environment occurs that leaves them shorthanded. They need to be proactive about it, and they need to have a relationship in place that they can maybe flex up and down. Like maybe in 23, I only need three milestone events because everything's pretty fluid right now. And I don't need eighty different pieces of information about every shipment. right? But I want to retain the ability to turn that on. If a right. volcano erupts in Iceland or a uh, nuclear reactor blows in Japan, or there's another, mm. you know, catastrophic global event. Right. Mm. So I can see that being kind of the midway point between I don't need visibility or I need everything that visibility has to offer.
0: Yeah, and it seems like it's a similar tussle with the concepts of just in case versus just in time. Like you've got the, the the great thing about just in time is that it makes everything nice and lean, but then also doesn't have redundancy built into it. And I was talking with a colleague who was directly trained by the Toyota folk, and he said that just in time was never supposed yeah. to be so lean that there was no fat in the system. And Do you see that some of those fundamental principles which have been wrestled with for for years like we're talking 50 60 even 100 years but in a digital sense perhaps in the last 20 or so do you see that the principles sometimes don't get adhered to and forgotten in the race to adopt or integrate a certain type of technology is that a really common problem yeah that's a
1: good question i like i think i would i sort of struggle to understand that because i've never I've never taken like Six Sigma classes and I've never taken like, you know, I've never been responsible (laughs) for driving efficiency in a supply chain. And so I know, I I know what goes into that across a layer of shippers as it relates to logistics and transportation. Like what can you do to make yourself as lean as possible, but ensure that if something happens, you're not, you know, out of luck, completely out of luck. I think the pandemic sort of showed that everybody had gone, had gotten so good at running supply chains individually. And then as a whole, that we all sort of lost sight of the fact that moving goods, like physically moving tons of goods from one continent to another is not a utility. There's actually some, there's some, Skill and process yeah. that goes into that, um, and that may have been forgotten, and mm-hmm. and hence I think that's why there was a million white papers on how on the death of just in time, and it was it was all about everything was going to be just in case, and it's like oh well what I guess maybe when eight percent interest rates are there, actually just in case doesn't actually work so. Uh, now we're going to go back to you yeah. know, just a little bit more of just in time because you know demand is 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 easier for us to work with that. So there's, I guess what I'm saying is everyone in, has in their recesses of their mind they have what they know to be the right path, but a lot of times you're you're sort of dealing with current recent events and just sort of adapting to those recent events and maybe overcorrecting, right? But I. Mm. I didn't talk to a single shipper at the beginning of 22 when all those just in case, you know, kind of thesis things came out. I never talked to a single shipper who was like, oh yeah, we can just carry as much inventory as we want now because demand will be, demand will be like off the charts <laughs> forever and we won't ever have to worry about carrying costs and, you know, yeah. and storage costs. And we, yeah. can, I've got the green light to buy as much inventory as I want. As right? much as I <laughs> was, want. There was yeah. never that conversation never happened with me or anybody else. In reality, yeah, that was a that was yeah. an academic, theoretic kind of I like concept, right? What really happened was yeah. everyone was like, maybe we shouldn't be so lean, and maybe like you were saying, <laughs> maybe we should go back to building a little bit of buffer in, <laughs> so right. that and, and being smarter about where that buffer is, right? Mm. I think that's that's really the reality. Like it's, it was never a choice between the two. It was always like, what, where am I on the spectrum between the two essentially?
0: And, and it's fair to say, I mean, you've just sparked an ins- inspirational thought there. We've seen some retailers. I mean, Bed Bath Beyond is one of them, uh, that have been severely impacted by not just sort of the COVID era, but perhaps a, a lot of different decisions that surround um, the last couple of years in particular. And it seems as though some of the folk who might have been adhering to that just in case type model have just run straight up into the problem with waning demand and that additional redundancy, which seems so necessary, has really worked against them. Is that a fair mm-hmm. association?
1: I think so. I think one one thing to be really careful of is that um, it's it's easy. Like I mean, I live in America, right? Like I drive past. I drive past the the big box retailers that have spawned a million, you know, business school case studies every single day. And they all it sort of they sort of blur into one another. Yeah. That's right. You have to be really careful, right? Like Bed Bath and Beyond is not run the same way as uh Target is not run the same way as Trade Jones. Whatever whatever you're yeah, exactly. And there are specific reasons. There's a great essay. I wish I remember who where where to find it. I just Google what the real circumstances behind the demise of uh, of Bed Bath & Beyond are. There's reasons why they struggled in a way that other retailers didn't even during the pandemic, right. not not to mention now when there's like no demand. And so if you were set up in a way to be exposed when demand went down, it's the same as like the forwarders and carriers we talked about earlier. It's If you were set up to not weather a little bit of a dip in demand, then you were... You weren't set up when times were okay, yeah. Correctly, and I think yeah. that's what Bed Bath and Beyond made some decisions that just really like manifested themselves in excruciating ways over the last couple of yeah. years.
0: and so that's a management pe- people. Design. I'm not picking on Bed Bath and Beyond; I'm just using it as yeah. a case study, but that that effectively comes down to a management, a business case that may have fallen apart. So once again, it's like the the technology is going to save you to some degree, but there's no silver bullet to making wise decisions.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think about this all the time, like most of the companies, so let's take Bed Bath & Beyond since we're talking about them. Let's say in 2019, hypothetically, they uh, were starting to see some signs that they were falling behind on sales in ways that competitive retailers were not. And they started to go. Wonder why this is? Um, maybe it's because we don't have the right technology, which may have been a a very reasonable guess to make for someone like Bed Bath and Beyond. And and this is why I have a whole lot of respect for major reta- major importers retailers because someone like Bed Bath and Beyond, uh, they were falling behind their competitors, right? And it may have been perfectly reasonable for them to say oh, we need to invest in some technology. And that's the reason why we've fallen behind. Now, the re- I have huge respect for major importers in the US because uh, you come to that decision in 2019 as Bed Bath & Beyond that you need to invest in some technology. Well, what do I invest in? Do I invest in a supply chain yeah. design tool that helps me figure out, whether I'm sourcing in the right locations and whether like I'm exposed geopolitically to the wrong, like sourcing locations or whether I can get enough like warehousing space in those locations whether I can, you know, whether I'm getting really screwed on transportation costs at origin, do I, do I think that I need a better CRM is, is the problem that I don't have good CRM is the problem that my human resources is it is an issue and i'm losing i'm churning employees too much and that's costing me and and it's hurting our customer relations right like as a as a multinational Mm. there are literally i could think of a hundred different channels to put technology money into none of which may be logistics right yeah but but i think i only care about like well what did they do wrong logistics wise and maybe they did nothing wrong maybe everything was as was like above the mark, above the benchmark from a logistics perspective, but you don't know that right. in 2019. And then when it's too late, then you look back and say, well, this, these were the three reasons, but we didn't invest in any of those reasons. So that's why I, I always look at my little niche of the world. It's a big niche, but it's still a little niche. I look at my niche of the world and go, a, the people that I write to, they may only have one chance every five years to make a big splash in terms of technology. And even then, mm. they may it may only be a ripple in terms of a larger problem or a larger wave, positive wave that their company might be experiencing. Say I'm Adidas two months before they signed up with Kanye, right? And I go... Hey, I'm I'm in the logistics department at Adidas, and you know what? I figured out a way to save us three percent on logistics costs across the globe incrementally for five straight years. Great, awesome. Oh, really? Yeezys just increased our volume of uh, revenue by forty percent. So good luck getting any appreciation for the yeah. fact that you, were, you know you transformed <laughs> the, the logistics department, right? Because. People are spending $400 yeah. for ugly shoes. Like, it doesn't even matter what your logistics costs are. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's that's why it's it's super endlessly fascinating. But you also always have to be like, it's this, this little part of the world that I cover is like this tiny little, tiny little area that it only, it's like really the last three years were the only time that it really truly mattered for any length of time. And do you feel
0: like your self esteem has been bolstered because of that? I mean, before you are relatively obscure, and then all of a sudden you're like, hey, I was doing
1: this before it was cool. I don't <laughs> know. I, I, uh, part of me is kind of like, uh, I cling to it like I'm, you know, they're the indie band that I never wanted to get too big, you know? So,
0: yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's, it's your craft brew that didn't, uh, you just didn't want it it's to cut across.
1: It's but now you can't find because everybody, everybody wants it. No, I, I appreciate that everyone, really was interested in it for the first time. And I think there's some people who are legitimately now continuously interested in it in a way they weren't before. So I think there were downsides to yeah. it too. I think there was just like the data thing. I think there was stuff that got a lot of attention that really wasn't all that meaningful, but it seemed interesting and different when it actually wasn't all that different. It was just maybe a little bit different historically. So mm. yeah, I'm I'm a bit of a curmudgeon get off my lawn on this. like. Because the thing, is, <laughs> the thing is, like, here we are in, in mid twenty three, and most people are not caring about it anymore. And so it's like, well, what was the point? Of that? Yeah. What was the point of everybody caring about it for three years? Was there any yeah. point? Because, like, yeah. the people who had to do the job, it didn't matter to them, other than maybe getting a little more attention from their sea level. It didn't really matter to them that everyone wanted to talk to them at dinner parties because their their life sucked yeah. for three years. Honestly, (laughs) they didn't even get to enjoy enjoy the notoriety. It was like a pain in the ass (laughs) for them to get so much notoriety.
0: You were directly, like I've just said earlier, you were directly to blame for this. It's like,
1: what? What?
0: I was, I was always just doing my
1: job. How did this even happen? That's right. I I think it's. I think it was. It was fun in a certain way to like have people recognize what container ships were, and and you know, but I, I'm just here. I'm just here like Andy Dufresne, chipping away at the wall. One years <laughs> later, I'm breaking out. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: well, I mean, it raises a good point. I think check in on Eric, folks, and any other your, your supply chain uh, people that might be in your life. Just make sure they're doing okay. You know, they had a I'm period doing, of
1: notoriety. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm doing great. I, I'm doing great. I never, I never had a piece of freight to move, so I'm doing great. Yeah. I check in yeah, on the people. Check in on the people who actually had stuff to move. They're the ones who deserve the attention so well
0: i mean that that's a good way for us to um to wrap up our conversation because i'd love you know you said earlier that predicting things can come back to bite you but um something i know you're good at and you're insightful with is picking something that becomes or is a trend is there anything and i'm not going to say ai here because that might just be a a a fly by night thing but what's something that you
1: i'll drink i'll drink i'm drinking my (laughs) coffee (laughs) To AI <laughs> right.
0: so, uh, and I won't mention Apple's AR goggles as well, because obviously that will feature in supply chains. We all...
1: I have no thoughts on that. I have no idea. I, I would say don't bet against Apple. That's my, that's my thought about their... And my their my conclusion
0: mode. with so. that is if they can't make it work, I think everyone should just abandon that segment because what they've produced, I think, is incredible totally. and has the best chance of working. Will it work? We're not too sure. But let, let's just think about from here to then from here to sometime in the future. What's something that you can think of that is perhaps we would say an undeniable trend or something that is more obvious as a trend and perhaps even add in something that you've noticed that people have missed or potentially would miss unless they pay attention to it?
1: Jeez. I I, I don't want to, I mean, you said not to say AI. (laughs) I I do think that, no, I, I'm going to say this with a big caveat. I actually think AI is is and and the the all the tributaries of AI because AI is this big, massive, you know, set of things that the average person, including myself, just cannot wrap their head around what it actually is. What I'll say is, I think there's huge stuff going on right at this minute and has been going on for months if not years uh in terms of what ai means to software companies and engineers that actually know what they're doing and and know how to channel the power mm. of it i think the chatbot stuff it also has its place in logistics but the the chatgpt stuff is you know it's sort of like uh, you know, me or my, my mom on an <laughs> iPhone, like get it. We're getting like two percent of the value of this powerful yep. tool. Right. Because we just don't even know the right things to ask it. And so I think the people who do know the right things to ask it are going to be enhanced in ways that it's hard for us mm-hmm. to appreciate. So teams expanding their capacity to program uh programmers uh accelerating product development right like i would expect i would expect people in logistics to see more product development and more iterations on things faster over the next few years than yeah. they have before with less repercussions if they don't work out um, because i think that's that's a that's a real tangible thing that will happen and is happening right now M- much more than like that that average journeyman person interfacing with tools that they have trouble even comprehending that's that stuff is like you know autonomous supply chains i know that's like a really popular slogan and mm. catchphrase for software vendors in our space come on <laughs> like we can't even i mean i Siri can't even understand me half the time. All of a sudden I'm gonna be like facilitating a shipment from deep interior China to like Memphis I think just by yeah, it, you're going to think thinking it. Yeah. it. Like I mean, come Well, on. I mean I th- I think your power
0: of telekinesis just needs to improve there, Eric. So I, I think what we've ascertained in this conversation is that is for the most part, you may be to blame for global freight rate volatility and also your inability to fully connect with the power of telekinesis may have caused most of the choke points that we're seeing currently in global freight. uh, It's hard to not sort of put my finger on the fact that you may be to blame for a lot of these things,
1: Eric. I will be. I don't know if you watched Succession, but uh, I will be i will be the industry's pain punch. <laughs> That's so. fantastic. And if you haven't watched Succession, you'll have no idea what that means, but if you have, you'll know exactly what it means. Uh, absolutely. So. <laughs> well,
0: we have a pretty educated listenership, so I'm sure they would have watched that. Hey, it's been an absolute delight to have a conversation with you. I just say in on reflection that the insights that you share and you have shared through your Substack as well as uh, through JSC and other channels has been both informative, but also an inspiration. So I say on behalf of the people listening along, thanks for your thoughts today. Um, But also just to point out that some of the observations you've just made, if people are listening and they have ears to hear, uh, it would be very wise for them to think about the implications of what you've shared as it relates to their specific operations, if they're moving freight, but also as they build things for the freight industry, so the technology providers and otherwise. And if they can see some of the wisdom that you've shared and they can work out how to practically apply that in what they do, it will end up being significantly more effective for all of us. So thanks so much, Eric, for your time. It's been a pleasure and uh, I hope we get to catch up again soon.
1: It's always great catching up and, and thank you for the kind words. So I'm, I'm blushing if people can't see, but uh, it's, it's always great to chat and mutual admiration society here. I love everything you're doing too. So
0: What a great episode with Eric Johnson there, and I was really taken with a number of his insights that he shared. For instance, when he said, I think the right data in the right hands at the right time is super impactful, but the wrong data at the wrong time in the wrong hands can make things even worse. It epitomizes what supply chains and technologies have been dancing around together, somewhat awkwardly, in particular over the last two years and that is to try and work out how we can get that data, get those insights, get those technologies in the hands of the right people so that great change can occur. Well, thanks to Eric and thanks to you for listening along to Let's Talk Supply Chain Asia-Pacific. Connect with us again on social media or through our other channels. And if you have any thoughts, questions or commentary, please drop them to us. We'd love to hear from you as we conclude our series on technology in supply chains.